What's going on? And welcome into Monday edition of Pelicans Podcast presented by SeatGeek. I'm Daniel Salerson. Normally, this is usually a game day edition, but the Pelicans have a rare two days in between games as they'll take on the Houston Rockets tomorrow night inside the Smoothie King Center with tip off set for 6.30 p.m. Central. As always, Jim Eikenhofer joins me from Pelicans.com. And our guest today is Joel Myers, television voice of your New Orleans Pelicans. Joel, how the heck are you, my friend? Good to talk to you. Well, it's good to be on with both of you. And it is a really good time for all of us because we're watching the growth of a young team. And we're watching a, a group come together both on and off the floor as we found out with the film sessions with Brandon, Zion and Stan Van Gundy. So these are really healthy times for us. And, and we all know going into the new season, it's a year of development. You wanna win, but you also wanna see growth. And, and this group is showing that they're coming together. And then there's the little things we'll get into uh, that there's the trust factor and the believability these guys are having together. And then overall development of the younger guys. You know, look at Kyra, the last game in particular. So a lot of positives to say the least besides the winning streak and getting close to the 500 mark, Daniel. Absolutely. The longest winning streak of the season so far for the Pelicans. Hopefully it continues tomorrow night against the Rockets. And Jim, we'll start with kind of the weekend a very successful weekend for the Pelicans, a, a nail biter on Friday night against the Pacers and then the Pelicans taking over in the fourth quarter to beat the Memphis Grizzlies. Uh, just in those two wins, what, what stuck out to you in both of those games? I think the fact that the defense now has gotten better and that they've had some really good stretches. I think the last part of the fourth quarter against Memphis was really good. And then Indiana for a chunk of that game was good. Um, not sure if I've ever seen a team make 10 straight three-pointers the way the Pacers did in the uh, third and fourth quarters. But um, overall, I think that's probably the biggest thing. And then going back to the first game of these three straight wins against Phoenix, where that was one of their best defensive performances, maybe maybe the best other than the game on New Year's Eve where Oklahoma City had a hard time getting to 80 points. So um, just some of the things that we've been waiting for to start to transpire, I think, have happened and that's a big reason why they're they're starting to play a lot better overall joel what about the defense stands out to you not even in just the two games uh over the weekend but you're, you're starting to see the development of these guys on the defensive end of the floor and you mentioned the key word i think is kind of the buzzword around this team right now is trust and i feel like that can go on both the offensive side of the ball and the defensive side but defensively what stuck out to you uh during the winning streak and, and even beyond that well it starts with the the perimeter and if the perimeter breaks down, then your defense is going to break down because you're in scramble mode. And it, it, it's great to talk about what Lonzo has done, and he's been really solid from beyond the arc during this winning streak. And in fact, over the last seven games, the Pels are five and two. So it's, it's not just the last three. It, it's a development over a period of time. Uh, but Lonzo's wingspan and what he can do for this team defensively. And Eric Bledsoe, when Eric's engaged, and he has been, uh, he's very good at the defensive end of the floor as well. So it, it's all positive at that end of the floor. And as Stan has said, and I, I thought it was right on target, as well as they're playing defensively recently, it, their measure of success, and it has to do with defense, is turnovers. Because Friday they had 20, Saturday they had 10. And out of those 20, there's going to be a lot of runouts. You're actually assisting them in fast breaks the opposition when you turn the ball over. And then you don't get set defensively due to the turnover. So I, I do like where he said it's a kind of a measure of success. If you 
minimize your turnovers, you're going to have the opportunity to set up your defense. And, and the Pels are getting it together at the defensive end of the floor. Zion's more engaged at the defensive end of the floor. We know Brandon can play. And Brandon's wingspan is a factor, just like Lonzo's wingspan out front. So all of a sudden, the deflections are up. The steals are up. Uh, there's a lot to go over. And that's the best part of it all for all of us. Because then it, it the conversation goes deeper for all of us. Because now the guys are putting up not just offensive numbers, but they're getting it done at the defensive end of the floor. And I like what Stan also said about the best two-way players, the best players in the NBA, are guys that play both ends of the floor. Whether it's Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown, a young group, or you can go to Kawhi and, and PG-13, Paul George at, with the Clippers. The best players in the NBA are two-way players. And that's what is, he's really impressed on uh, the two guys that the Pels are building it on and two really quality young men. So the foundation of the franchise is in a really good place right now. Yeah. You know, Joel, I think we, we saw this, the best illustration of this was the final defensive play against the Pacers where Lonzo ball came over and helped out and pretty much saved the game. But I think the coaches I'm sure could illustrate this better than I could, but to me, the help defense has been better lately, both in terms of being there when someone needs help and also not overhelping. It seemed like there were times earlier in the season where guys, and this could go back to the word trust that we used, where guys were kind of preemptively helping on defense. Okay, this guy, I need to get over here and, and help out on the dribble, even though the guy that's defending is doing a decent job and hasn't gotten beaten off the dribble. So it just seems like to me in, in aspect of help defense, they've been better lately. And that's was shown in the best way by Lonzo Ball at the end of that Pacers game. Yeah, and to your point, Jim, the one guy who's done it since day one of the help defense and read and react and get back to his, Stephen Adams. Yeah. Stephen Adams has really been solid at that end of the floor. Uh, he's been kind of a free safety, a strong safety, really, because of his size. But uh, bringing that kind of mentality and it's carried over to some of the other guys. So you don't look at what Stephen's done offensively, obviously, and it was an aberration last game because it was kind of funny. I looked at AD while we were doing the telecast. I said, it was middle of the second half. I said, you realize Steven doesn't have a board. Well, a lot of times the good rebounders box out guys. Mm -hmm. They're not at the board. They're going to make it available for their teammates. And Steven Adams is the ultimate teammate. So it started with him early in the season. It's carried over to other guys. And, and you can see, you can watch the body language of these guys and, and watch the way they enjoy being around each other watch the way they enjoy playing together. As I said, I, it's a real healthy development all the way around. And, and I like what Stan's been doing because there's the trust factor with the staff too. And everybody sits down with tablets, and, but are they believing? Are they watching? Are, is the retention there? And they, this staff is obviously, staff, Stan and his group, they're connecting with these guys. You can tell. I'm glad he brought up Stan because uh, what's been talked about in the last week or so is Stan's, you know, post-game meetings with Brandon Ingram and Zion Williamson being able to watch film after games with those two guys being the cornerstone of your team. You talk about the defensive side of the ball and the improvement there, Joel. I think you have to start with the main guys in Zion and B.I. And I feel like those film sessions have certainly helped those guys um, kind of come together as one. No question. And then they have a relationship. Maybe they didn't have that kind of relationship before, but Stan is bringing them together because if you're going to be the faces of this franchise and they truly are, and they're super young, 
wow, how good is that for all of us to watch this grow and develop the way it is? So then all of a sudden they communicate where maybe they didn't communicate that much before. So Stan is opening that up as well for them. And maybe they're finding a common bond and things that all of a sudden off the floor that they like together and they're connecting because that'll bring them closer together all the way around, not just on the floor, but off the floor. And, and let's not forget about one guy. It's kind of been a revelation. He's really been good for this team defensively. Willie, Billy, Hernan Gomez. He plays help defense. He rotates, he covers, he gets back to his. Uh, he's got basketball IQ, as you can see, what, 26, 27 years of age now. And he's a, for his size, he's a serious athlete. So he grew up in Madrid. His brother, Juancho, with Denver, now with Minneapolis, with Minnesota. And when guys like that, you can go back to a, a lot of European guys, Steve uh, Nash in Vancouver, they grew up first sport with soccer. So their footwork, their balance, and, and the way they move, that they were ahead of the game anyway because they started playing soccer as a, as a pup. So Billy Hernan Gomez has been really big for this team, and I think his teammates really appreciate him. And Stan has said, Stan said he's very vocal. Even in practice at the end, when they were playing pickup and Stan would go back to his office, he heard the voice. He heard Billy calling out signals at the defensive end of the floor, helping his teammates. So this is a really good situation. They got him in the rotation, and it's paid off. We, we talked about on the postgame radio show Saturday about how Billy has, to me, has really added kind of another hustle guy into, into the bench unit. And they're a lot more of a kind of a rough and tumble group than they were maybe before. Um, I love the way he gets on the floor for loose balls and he really scraps for rebounds. So between him and Josh Hart, I feel like the, the second unit, I think, is hopefully – um, in the midst of making a jump as well, which I think they've already done in addition to having, you know, JJ Redick has been back in the mix and has been playing better lately. So I think the starting lineup has been really good lately. And not, now I think the next step is for the bench to, to come up to, to that level. Yeah. yeah. And Jim, to your point with the bench and coming up to the next level, uh, Kyra's had a really good 19 minutes on the floor. He had assists early his first run. Uh, he's a natural lead and ad and i have talked about it on the telecast you have natural instincts you can't usually teach a guy at this level to be a pure point either you are or you aren't aren't and he's a natural lead his instincts are to make other people better get other guys involved and down the road i think nikhil is going to be a really good two his natural position is the two guard yeah and when Kyra and Nikhil get it going together, and obviously Josh is very good off the bench, JJ's exceptional off the bench in his role. So it, it, I think it's going to fall into place. It's really early. We're only 22 games in. And only 22 games in with his coaching staff. And, and then defining everybody's roles. So uh, what's the, the real issue is I enjoy being in the gym. And we're really happy. And I said to AD on the air, we are so fortunate. We're calling basketball games and we're just the opportunity to, to play games. But I miss because we don't know Billy. We don't know Kyra. We're not around these guys. I, I haven't gotten to talk to Rex or Casey or the new guys on the staff. So I appreciate from a distance what is going on 
But at the same time, I'd love to be in the gym, love to be at the facility. Just knock on wood, we're happy to have games. But the insight we gain from the coaching staff and the players when we discuss things with them, that's what we miss. And the relationships, because you can tell already, these are really good young guys. And by the way, how nice was that play where Kyra played free safety and caught a pass above his head and then kind of a step through left-handed layup. I think that was the kind of play where people that were in the, in the arena and obviously people watching on TV as well, were kind of like, wow, this is, we see what we can see some of the potential that this guy has. Natural reads. Yeah. That's what down to. He's a natural at the position. And Oh, by the way, he's really a geezer, isn't he? He went yeah. down 17. He came into the NBA <laughs> 19. Yeah. I think this he is, turns 20. He's rolling good times. Yeah. These are better days ahead. So that's the positive. It's it's an exciting time for all of us. No doubt. And, and real quick on Kyra, too, about his ability to get to the rim. I know one of the games he struggled as far as finishing, but, man, still even attacking the rim opens up so much when you have rebounders like Hernan Gomez and Steven Adams and sometimes Ian Williamson. I think just opening things up for, for Kyra attacking has really helped this offense a little bit, wouldn't you say? You you can't exist, Daniel, anymore on in the pick-and-roll age of the NBA without a lead that gets into the paint. It makes everybody else better. The potential, the possibilities, the drive, the kick, the take, drawing free throws, getting guards to the free throw line is essential as well. And Stan has talked about that. Free throw attempts. Getting into the paint, also getting contact, getting into the stripe. So uh, Kyra's a natural drive guard. He's got that spurt about him in short space, and he's quick to begin with, but he's lightning off the pick and roll. So uh, Kyra's going to be fine, and I'm happy that he's starting to get some run at the position he's going to be a natural in down the road for the Pels. No doubt about it. Um, let's kind of focus in here. I want to mention one more thing, uh, speaking of point, but I'm going to kind of talk about point Zion before we preview the week here, because it seems like you're seeing Zion take the ball up a lot more and, and really taking it to the rim uh, from the point guard position, basically. Um, what are you seeing from that, Joel? And then I'll go to Jim with your thoughts about, you know, Zion. You've seen this assist go up, too, in the last week or so. When I'm reading the box, we're seeing four, five, six dimes from him, and that's from the attacking to the rim well, but it's also from him starting – you know, at the top of the arc and going to the rim instead of being down low and posting up. Uh, how much has that opened things up for the Pelicans with Zion's being able to do that? Well, we break down things with the video all the time on the telecast. And Zion, as you said, he had five assists last game. Uh, but he draws so much attention. So once he gets into the defense, he's uh, all the eyes are on Zion. They're ball watching a lot on Zion, meaning – you're on the baseline, you cut at the appropriate time, movement off the ball. He's going to find you. He's a smart basketball player. Uh, what he does athletically is off the charts. We still can't believe it. His hops, his pop, his second bounce. Uh, he And then once he creates for others, he's going to follow up on it. So if it's not there, he's going to follow up and put it back. And that's why the Pels are one of the best teams in the NBA and lead the NBA in second chance points, Zion, Steven Adams, they keep it alive. They go back up with it. Uh, but no, it, it's, it's a situation where you look at when he has the ball and he's got a good handle, really a good handle. And it's when he lowers the dribble and it tightens up, it's even better. So to your point, he's going to get more of that. 
but it's not going to be the primary focus of his game. But boy, when they drop a double, when you get him on the block and he gets his touches, all of those guys are focused on Zion. And he's making the proper reads, proper passes. So he, he's got basketball IQ. And he's a basket in the passing. You can see it develop already. The timing is everything on the pass. And he's getting that down. There's no question about that. Yeah, I like the element of, I think it makes it a lot harder for other teams defensively to go into a game or even a quarter or a half and know exactly how they can attack him because you're kind of bringing him from different angles. I know we probably famously the first game he played against the Spurs, they had a game plan where pretty much every time he touched the ball, they were running two or three guys at him. So I think it's a lot harder to do that when he's facing the basket and he's further out from the basket. Obviously, like Joel said, um, his bread and butter is going to still be in the paint. And, you, you you know, you don't want him shooting 30 footers and playing away from the rim just because you want to take him to take advantage of his athleticism. But I think um, the his ability to get more comfortable playmaking will also help him when he is in situations where he's on the block because he's just getting a better feel for for um, passing and finding open guys and knowing where people are in their best spots to, to make shots. So, you know, I think this is, this is all great. And I think it's just another wrinkle that um, opposing teams are going to have to, to factor in when they try to figure out how the heck to, to stop this guy. Yeah. Daniel, let me throw this in as well. Sure. Over the last seven games on Zion and I'll get to Brandon as well. Zion over the last seven games is better than 24, 24 on average, six boards, close to five assists. His assist to turnover ratio over the last seven, well, the Pels have gone five, five and two, is two to one. A lot of lead guards would like two to one. So, and, we, and he's shooting only 63% over those seven. It's only. <laughs> 50%, you know, and he's, he, we're watching him with Fred Vincent before games. He's, he's shooting threes. When he bends his knees, that the stroke's looking good. And over the last seven games, oh, by the way, because he's going to live at the free throw line. He should lead the league eventually in free throw attempts. 73% of the line over the last seven. Now, let's not forget what Brandon Ingram has meant to this team over the last seven, averaging 25, five, and five. His assist to turnover ratio over the last seven is better than four to one. That's the level that Brandon's playing at right now. He's shooting 48% overall, 43.5% on his threes, and a paltry 89% at the free throw line. He's slumping. He's 23 years old, Brandon Ingram. Zion is, what, 20 now? Yeah. And turned 21 until the summer. I rest my case. Yeah. I'm buying futures in the Pels and these guys because they're growing and, and everything's headed in the right direction. It's not going to happen overnight, but it is going to happen. No, no doubt about that. Uh, final thoughts before I let you go, and I'll start with Joel again and, and Jim. I'll, I'll let you Whatever share. Whatever you what... do, Daniel, don't let us go. Whatever you do. <laughs> I'm sure you're just ready to get on out of here, Joel. I, I know you. Um, we'll legit promote what he's got going on on pelicans.com. But just these next five games, you know, you get on another long four game road trip thanks to uh, the Detroit Pistons game that was added on Valentine's Day. But uh, you're playing some really key teams, especially when you look at who you might be facing down the road as far as trying to get into that play in game in the playoffs. You have Houston on Tuesday, a back to back, which sends you to Chicago on Wednesday. And then you have the Dallas Mavericks on Friday, who you haven't faced yet due to that postponement. Sundays against Detroit, but then you wrap up that Mardi Gras road trip on Mardi Gras Day against the Grizzlies. So three of those five teams 
in the Southwest division who you, you right now are all clumped up together, you know, in the eight, nine, 10, 11, 12 range. So uh, Joel, I'll start with you kind of a, a very important stretch for the Pelicans. I know every game's important, but when you're looking at teams that you could get some advantages on evening up the series against Houston, uh, getting up two games against the Grizzlies and starting off one and zero against the Mavericks. I mean, those are crucial games for the Pelicans. Yeah, Daniel, we're on the same page. I opened the telecast on Saturday night that way, that it was an important two-game stretch for the Pels because Memphis and Houston and tiebreakers for down the road. They're in your division, not only your conference, but in your division. And you brought up, and then you got Dallas. What is Dallas? Friday night. Yeah. So, and Chicago is really emerging. Billy Donovan's a good coach, and they're responding to him. And you can tell Zach Levine's a star. Uh, I don't know if Markinen's going to be back by then. Uh, they got Patrick Williams at four and he's playing like a, a grizzled vet and he's in his first year in the NBA and he just belongs. They did a really good job player evaluation there. So these are tests coming up, uh, but the, the division games are the key. So win the division games, win the games in the conference, and then just do what you've been doing. Build on what you've done. Offense, the offensive end of the floor is going to be fine for the Pels. They're going to be, fortunately, they weren't ISO at the end, like they were ISO the game before at the end and almost gave it away uh, against Indiana in Indianapolis. But the offense is going to be fine. There's plenty of sources. JJ shooting starting to come around. Uh, Kyra is going to get more run and create opportunities for others. But if this team, and, and they're playing much better defensively, if they don't turn the ball over and, and they continue to grow as a group defensively, they're going to be right there. They're only going to get better. And right now it's after the, the sluggish beginning, they're only two games under the 500 mark. But to your point, yeah, you, you've got to take care. And you owe Houston after their second quarter, a couple mm -hmm. of where they're just, what are they? 44 points in the second 48. quarter. Yeah. What was it? 48, 48. Thank you. I was trying to be kind. So, <laughs> <laughs> but at the same time, the, the division games are massive. And you want to continue to build. The momentum is there already. Continue to build. And, and we see that development. And the guys are coming together as a group. That's the best part of it all, is you can see them bonding as a team. And that's really strong. Yeah. You know, I know we're only right now, we're just focusing on the next handful of games. Don't want to get too far down the road, but it's hard for it's, it's been hard for me the last couple of days. And I'm sure for a lot of fans as well to not look even further up the standings. I don't want to get too carried away, but I mean, after these five games that we just listed, they play Portland and Phoenix. And it, it's funny after the way the Pelicans started, they're really not that far behind some of those teams that are in the top six. So, I mean, not only is this stretch coming up over the next week plus going to be really interesting, but I think really all the way through mid February, they have a lot of games that are going to be really interesting. And that could be really important to the standings. But first things first, I do think that the Rockets game Tuesday night is really important. And, and uh, I mean, the Rockets have kind of come back a little bit, too, after they had that really big uh, winning streak. So it's it's really there's really been nothing decided if you look at the standings in the Western Conference. I mean, other than the first probably three teams that have kind of separated themselves between the two L.A. teams in Utah. I think after that, it's really pretty bunched up and it's almost like in some regards, it's almost like a new season that whoever plays the best from here is going to be the team that, that, uh, you know, moves up the standings quickly. 
Jim, before I let you go, give us uh, what can we expect on pelicans.com over the next couple of days leading into tomorrow's game? Well, uh, today I'm going to write an article about how well the starting lineup has played. Um, I think it was Andrew Lopez that had a great stat Saturday that I started delving into more today in terms of the net rating that that starting lineup has had. There's a couple different ways to look at it, but, but to make a long story short, they're number one, they're the number one five man lineup in the league over the last couple of weeks during this five and two stretch. Um, so that's one thing. And then another thing I would um, have people check out is the article that posted on Sunday about the players picking their, their scoring sound bites, basically the music or sound clips that all the players have after they score a basket. Um, Kyle Campbell from the uh, event presentation game presentation department of the Pelicans helped me out a lot with that in terms of um, kind of guiding me through which music all the players pick. So kind of a different unconventional article that I hope people enjoy, especially people that are really into music. I know Joel is very much into music as well. So some of the tastes might be a little different from his old school jazz, <laughs> but nonetheless, we still appreciate the, the fact that uh, the players actually pick their own sound bites for their baskets this year. In the past, a lot of times it was um, people that work for the team would say, try to line up something that was appropriate to the, the player. But this year the players actually picked, picked all of them, which I thought was an interesting angle for a story. And that's kind of what the genesis behind that was for me to do that article. I had a lot of fun writing it. Yeah, well, you had me I look forward to that. And Daniel, you know what I do like what we're playing now when they go to a, a, a challenge, mm -hmm. a Pell's challenge. Old school, tell me something good. Yeah, it's no. the background, and I like it. Yeah, I've noticed that too, yep. Yes. <laughs> Solid effort, and usually uh, I'll give Kyle Crammel credit for that, but I don't want to feed his his ego a little bit more, so we'll just keep it at, <laughs> at someone else maybe for the attention on that. Um, before I let you all go too, also, for you all listening at home, the Pelican stay-at-home crew has a chance to grab a game day giveaway. Every fan has a chance to win the Pelican's Mardi Gras bucket hat, courtesy of Entergy. Register now to catch one of your own at pelicans.com slash win. And also, if you attend the game tomorrow night, you will get the free Mardi Gras bucket, Mardi Gras bucket hat, courtesy of Entergy. Also, Battle of the Band, say Dog versus Warren Easton, plus an appearance by King Cake Baby. And if you saw what he did on TNT the oh, other night, oh, it's going to be scary. I know <laughs> Joel can't wait for King Cake Baby, and I'm sure he's going to wear his bucket hat underneath his headset as well tomorrow. Right, Joel? Given. It's a given. <clears throat> all right. Well, go. hope you all have a great rest of your Monday. And uh, we'll check back in with you guys um, down the road. I appreciate you guys coming on today. Thank you, Daniel. Yep. All here. right. Until Wednesday's Pelicans podcast, I'm Daniel Sowers, and thanks for listening as the Pelicans podcast is always presented by SeatGeek.